Yes, Lord, we're so thankful for um, just who you are and what you've done in our lives. Thankful for this time to sing praise to you. And that God would pray that you would encourage us now with your word, that you would strengthen us and uh, build us up in its truth. And God, just uh, continue to solidify our faith in you this day. Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide my words as I uh, speak through this text and uh, Lord, just to apply it to our hearts and to my heart um, and just yield myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so we're in First uh, John 4. We'll get to First John 4. First John 4, it says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has not has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. <clears throat> so in this passage we see um 
you know, I think John is um, putting some additional thoughts to uh, one of the verses he started with back in uh, chapter three. And we talked about this a little bit over the past couple weeks, but it was First uh, John three eighteen, where he says, uh, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And this theme is just sort of continued throughout these two chapters of this, um, you know, showing that there is truth that we hold to and there is love that we demonstrate. And these things we have to hold in tension um, at all times that we, we must share the truth and we must also love um, in, in action. And so, um, you know, we see him start saying, okay, let us love, not in word, but in deed or in action, not in mindless talk or chatter, but in actual truth. So our love that we demonstrate to the world is that which we've received from the Father. It's a... Uh-oh. It's a it's a love in word, or sorry, in action, not only in words, in truth, not only in uh, random talk. And so, what we see in chapter four, I think, is an expansion on that in many ways. The first section, verses uh, one to six, address what it is to speak in truth. That there is this truth that we hold to. Um, there's this uh, portion of the verse, or portion of the section, a portion of that first section there, verses one to six. It says, "By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God." Never spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Um, as a, I think I was a high schooler, um, or it might have been a freshman in college, but uh, I had read a verse that I think it might be a similar verse somewhere else, but that says this very bluntly: if you know, if you declare Jesus is Lord, then you're of God, and if you don't, then you're not of God, and. Um, and the literalism of that had stuck in my young brain. And uh, and on campus at, at Oklahoma State at the time, there was like some big event going. I don't even know what, what the event was exactly. Um, I think it was a kickoff to the school semester or something. Um, but I thought there were lots of people with different booths and things. And one of them was from uh, the Mormon church. And... And so, you know, they were sharing information um, about about the Mormon church. And um, and so I think I was with some friends or something, but basically I, I went to their booth. And since I'd been empowered with this knowledge that, you know, if it will, if they say that Jesus is Lord, then they must be of the Lord. And if they don't say that Jesus is the Lord, then they're not of the Lord. And so I got into a discussion uh, 
really was looking for a, a discussion and uh, and found one uh, that I sought for and was able to get my question posed, which is, well, can you say that Jesus is Lord? And as it turns out, they had the capacity to say the words, Jesus is Lord. And so immediately I was like, oh, okay. Um, now, the fact that they were able to say those words uh, does not verify their uh, belief, right? And so when we read this passage and it says, um, it says these things, it's not as simple as just being able to say, uh, say talk, right? To, to talk, right? To, to just share the words. What he says is, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. See, it's not necessarily about the talk that is said. It's about the truth that is shared. Yeah, someone could say, you know, they could say whatever words they want to say. But are we seeing those words being shared in truth or just in some sort of response like I, like I received? See, I thought, well, if they can say it, then, then okay, maybe they're with us. And if they can't say it, then, then they're obviously not with us. But they said it, and it was really just a repetition of what I asked them to say. The challenge for us is to discern the spirit. His challenge to the church is church, really beloved. When he says beloved, he's talking about the church, beloved, those who are beloved by God. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see if they're from God. There are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. And by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The challenge is that understanding whether someone truly believes what we're saying we believe can come down to that very simple understanding of what we hold true about Jesus Christ. What we hold true about Jesus Christ is that he was born as a man, the Virgin Mary, a miraculous incarnation, that he lived for uh, 33 years here on the earth as a man, fully God, fully man. That he died a real physical death. That he was verifiably dead for three days. And that after three days, he rose from the grave. If you're in conversation with someone about what they believe, and you're wondering if they understand the way you understand, just walking through those simple facts is going to help you. We believe he's fully God, fully man, gave himself on a cross for us as our Messiah, that his death has paid for our sins. Every spirit that confesses this, that Jesus 
is the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh, is from God. There are many false prophets that say many, many things about Jesus, even today, to try and explain away his existence or explain away what he has done or the importance of what he has done. If we want to know which spirit is true, that we know truth. Every spirit that is from God is a spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's come in the flesh. And if he's come in the flesh, he died in the flesh. If he died in the flesh, he arose again. This is the truth that is talked about when we're saying, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. Uh, and the talk is just what we're able to say. Yes, Jesus, yeah, he's a good person. He's a good teacher. He's, you know, very powerful individual. He was um, one of a kind. You know, he was a great guy. He, he was at the right place at the right time. No, that's all talk. What is truth is that Jesus is the Messiah that God sent to die for our sins. And that in order to do that, he came in the flesh and died in our place. Later in the chapter, uh, verse, um, where is that? Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, propitiation reminds us of the time uh, in the Exodus and in the explanation of worship in the Old Testament that we've been going over very significantly lately, um, where at the Day of Atonement, the lamb receives the sins of the people. Uh, by confession over the lamb's head while they before they slit the lamb's throat. <laughs> um, and so when we're talking about propitiation, that's what we're that's kind of the scene that Jesus is fulfilling is that receiving of our sins upon himself and being sacrificed in our place, the propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> The spirit that is from God confesses that fact, that truth, that this is why Jesus came, that he came to die for our sins, that he came to be the Messiah, that he came in the flesh, that he paid the penalty that we deserve. And so there is a spirit of the Antichrist that is um, present in this world, it says verse 3, the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. This spirit is there and it comes in many, many forms. It comes in forms that declare humanity as the greatest achievement. It comes in forms that declare uh, ourselves as the greatest achievement. Uh, it comes in forms that declare other gods as the greatest achievement. It comes in forms of uh, of you know, appeasing other gods with our good works as the, the greatest uh, purpose in, in our life. 
it comes in many forms, that which is in opposition to Christ. And the difficult thing is that oftentimes uh, the people that are walking in these things and these uh, these talks of kinds, they seem like very good people. They may be trying to do very good things in this world for even for other people. But if the root of it is uh, is only in exalting a God that doesn't exist or exalting our achievements over that which God has done for us, then it is in opposition to Christ whether they know that or not. And so we have to be discerning as to what we see and and. Uh, and to what the root of things are. So that we may listen to the spirit of truth rather than the spirit of error, as verse uh, 6 talks about. <clears throat> the truth is that there is a, a spiritual battle that is at, at work, the you know, very well-known uh, verse from Ephesians 6 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord put the, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so this spirit of the Antichrist is what is behind and within all of these uh cosmic forces, authorities, present darkness, spiritual forces in the heavenly places, those are the things that are set up in opposition to Christ and his truth. And so, as Ephesians instructs us, um, when we're interacting with people, they, they're not, it's not like they're aware of the fact that they're operating under a scheme of the Antichrist. It's simply that they're trying to figure out life or uh, or have a belief that is set in opposition to Christ. They may not be doing it thinking, I am against Christ. Right? They're just doing it. Because they think that is right. And so when we interact with people on the idea or concept of truth, it is really important for us to know where our battle is. Our battle is with the spiritual force that is behind uh, all of these things and not with the person in flesh and blood. And so as we interact with people, we have to be discerning of that, understand that, and approach them with love. Right? We share truth in love, recognizing that something is broken inside all of us, really, uh, but when it's uh, ideology we're trying to persuade someone from, that they are serving, they're in, in servitude to something that is destroying them. And they may be in that unawares. And so test the spirit as you interact with, you know, neighbors, friends, coworkers, uh, family members. Test the spirit and understand where it's from. And if it's not from um, a place of recognizing that Jesus came in the flesh and died for our sins and rose on the third day, um, if they're declaring anything in opposition to that, then the spirit of the Antichrist is, is in the midst. And so rather than come against them as an individual, 
come against that spirit um, and the authority of Jesus and share in love uh, with uh, the person that is in flesh and blood. <clears throat> We're to test the spirits and understand that the truth is Christ has come and died for us and we stand firm on that always. You see in the second half of the passage that uh, the, the second half of this is, is you know, again, going back to chapter three, verse 18, little children, let us love not in talk, but in truth, which is kind of what we just covered. And also let us not love in word, but in, in deed. And so what does it look like to rather than love in word, but love in deed instead, in deed and in truth, um, it looks like the love of God. And the love of God is, again, rooted on the truth that he so loves us that he would send his son to die in our place. It's rooted in his action of, of giving up his son of turning away from him at the cross and we cannot hardly comprehend what that feels like i, I would say we can't <clears throat> comprehend that moment of time but it's a great cost god's love was made manifest that he sent his only son to the world that we might live through him and in this is love that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to really take the physical cost of our sin at the cross, the physical, emotional, spiritual cost of our sin. And so what is the resulting action of that? Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us in this way, in the way that he would let his son go to the earth, in the way that he would let his son die on the earth for his creation, his created people. If that's how God has loved us so much, then we also ought to love one another in the same manner. In similar manner. Giving up that which is ours and those who are around us. Giving up the selfish desires of um, our time, our comfort, our uh, goods, uh, whatever is ours, recognizing that it is not ours. It is all from the Father in heaven and uh, a conduit to those God has placed around in our lives. If God has so loved us that he gave up his son, that we ought to love one another with that same kind of love. In verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What a powerful statement from John that, no, yeah, no one has ever seen him. We haven't physically come face to face with God. <clears throat> but if we love one another, God is abiding in us corporately. And so in some manner, some way, God is seen 
in his abiding within us. How does he abide within us? That our love is demonstrated unto one another. Jack continues on to uh, describe and argue that, um, again, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And a couple of powerful results of this are uh, a couple of things. First, there's no fear. That, that God has cast out fear from us as a result of his love. We no longer fear punishment of our sin because God has paid for that that we deserve. As we've talked about many times, that, that doesn't make us perfect. Um, we still, you know, make mistakes. We still sin. We still hurt one another in, in ways um, but if this work of Christ is, uh, you know, at, at play in our lives, we also feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, just as he said in verse 13, by this we know we abide in uh, him and he in us, that he has given us his spirit. And so um, while we're broken and while we're, you know, still working out our salvation and being sanctified throughout our life, um, if if that faith in Christ is truly there, then, then we feel conviction, a holy conviction, not one that is out of fear because we know we've received grace and mercy from our Lord and Savior. Uh, but um, we feel uh, conviction that we know it is wrong when we hurt one another. The one who brings in fear in those moments is Again, the Antichrist, the, uh, the schemes of, of, of Satan. He will come anytime you make a mistake, sin against God, sin against your brother or sister in Christ. He's the one that comes in and says, see, you never really got it. You just aren't perfect. You aren't good. Uh, you're so guilty. You know, the, the blood is on your hands. He's the one that says that would say that of you. But Christ stands there, the propitiation for your sin, all of your sin, sin past, sin now, sin future. He's covered it all. And so when you find yourself in that place of conviction, yeah, you have to wrestle with it. You have to seek forgiveness if necessary there. And ultimately you have to rest in the fact that praise be to God. He has cast out all fear in his perfect love for you in Christ Jesus. And walk in the humility that that brings in your life and move forward. Perfect love cast out all fear. If Christ's work is on you, if his spirit is in you, as you come upon those broken moments in your life, whether they're caused by you or caused by somewhere else, the grace of Jesus is present and cast out any fear that might be there otherwise. The first 
one of these things that results from having this truth abiding in you, this love of God abiding you, is that his perfect love casts out fear. Fear from those that, you know, might have offended you and are seeking forgiveness. Fear for yourself from a potential condemnation from the Lord. Uh, perfect love has cast out that fear. The other thing that uh, this love abiding in us accomplishes is that it makes it impossible for us to hate the brothers and sisters in Christ. We love, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. He cannot love God whom he has not seen. God says, if, if you aren't able to love your brother or sister who is proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Savior in the flesh, then how would it be possible for you to even love God whom you have not even seen? You and I, I'm sure, have seen this bear out, you know, where some disagreement comes up between you and a brother or sister in Christ. And they may go out from you. They may separate in some way, for some reason. And in the body of Christ, there's resolution for that. It's okay. We don't hold hatred toward one another based on differences. If our foundation is still on a belief that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then we don't hold hatred for one another. It's not possible. I know that I've seen this happen myself. Disagreement or brokenness has come in a relationship, and that relationship has been um, broken in some way. Yet if Christ is a sinner, I cannot hold hatred. It's part of the reason why we can lovingly have denominational structures in our world. There are things upon which, because of interpretation, we disagree. And the beauty in the body of Christ is that um, for those who are gospel-centered, that is, those who declare Jesus has come in the flesh and is from God, it's okay. We can have disagreement. We can have uh, strong disagreement. Uh, on a variety of things, whether uh, about how we do church, where we do church, um, you know, what exactly our interpretation of, you know, the end is or the beginning is, or uh, there's big things that we can disagree on in the body of Christ and yet not hold hatred over one another, but rather found, find unity on this very fact that Christ has come in the flesh and he is from God. That he has, by his death, covered our sin and that there is no other way to be reconciled to God the Father except through him. 
That's the simple truth on which we unite. And it's impossible for me to hate another brother that, that believes in that same thing. We disagree? Yes. Will we have to take separate paths sometimes? Possibly. And that's okay. We can reconcile and agree to separate. And in the church, of, in the body of Christ, in the world, that works actually unto the glory of God. And so it's important for us, again, this, the whole discussion of this starts with us testing the spirits, us going, you know, if you've got a concern about someone, um, you know, talking it out with them and, and understanding what they believe about Jesus is the most vital thing. And if you still don't understand whether that person is, whether that spirit is, uh, the, the spirit that person is walking in is true or not, take it to the Father. Go before him in prayer and, and ask him about the person. Say, Lord, I seem to be saying all the right things. It seems like their talk is right, but are they in truth? Ask the Father. Ask him to give you opportunity to have a better understanding. God desires that we love in this world, that we love one another. It's the most important thing that we can um, be about in our lives is demonstrating love to the body of Christ and demonstrating that uh, to the world what, what the body of Christ looks like because it's in that that God has seen. Just as John records, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. The fact is that this world needs the presence of God. And the only route, the only avenue they have to seeing God is through the love that the church has for one another. So it's imperative that first we know what the church is. The church is the body of believers that is declaring that Jesus is the Christ. He came in the flesh from God. And so you may have brothers and sisters in our community that, that go to different churches and, uh, you know, um, worship the Lord in different ways. But if you agree with them on this point, that Christ has come in the flesh and he's paid the penalty for your sin, he is from God. And you're brothers and you should love each other with the greatest love possible. It's in that that the world will see um, the presence of God on this earth. In contrast to all the um, just arguing and bickering in our world and brokenness of our world and antagonism of our world and um, the dog-eat-dog -dog approach of everything, um, they'll see a body of believers, a people that maybe across denominational lines, maybe across uh, political lines, maybe a, across uh, life stage lines, what have you, that this love is demonstrated. And in that, they will see the presence of God. Let's pray.
God, we're so grateful that you, um, God, that you're so powerful and majestic um, and holy, yet you're also so good. And God, we thank you that, um, truthfully, you've made this pretty simple for us. As lofty and as high above us as you are, you've made it pretty plain. You sent your son to die for us. And that our love for one another who have received that should be in kind. So God, I pray that you would give us discerning hearts and help us understand what is truth. Help us to have a passion and desire to grow in our comprehension of what is true. Thank you that you've given us the means uh, of doing that through your word and help us to commit strongly to reading and understanding your word, each of us, more and more each day. And Lord, give us the wisdom to test the spirits that we interact with all the time. But no where their motivations are and know where their questions are and know where their fears are and give us opportunity, Lord, to uh, share. Lord, to, to love in deed and in truth. Not in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Or may our actions and the truths we proclaim be unified. God, if we say our Savior died for us, then may our actions reflect that to those around us. We're so grateful for your word this morning and this time to fellowship and uh, we just give the rest of our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.